If I could save time in a bottle, the first thing that I'd like to do. The freeze frame is perhaps the most extraordinary of all cinematic devices. More than extraordinary, it is a paradox. It initially appears to contradict and then defy the very nature of film. A freeze frame halts the motion of motion pictures. Beyond telling stories on a philosophical level, film examines time and space. But a freeze frame petrifies time and fossilizes space. Who first used it and why? Like many of the great cinematic experimentations, you can trace its origins all the way back to the silent era. However, while it is widely believed that Alfred Hitchcock was the first director to use it in his 1928 romantic comedy Champagne, that is not true. Because so many early films have been lost, it is impossible to say which film actually used it first. But of the films that have survived, the accolade belongs to French surrealist René Clair. Given the surrealists were so intent on disrupting the continuity of bourgeois life, it is somewhat fitting that it was a surrealist who first disrupted the continuity of cinematic storytelling. Paris Cuidor, or Paris Asleep, or its other name, The Crazy Ray, is a satirical short film made in 1924. You can watch it on YouTube. In it, an upper-class dilettante finds himself walking through an oddly depopulated Paris. The few people he does encounter are all standing stock still in the streets. Why? A scientist has been developing a physics formula which has inadvertently caused the pausing of time across the city. For some shots, Claire got his actors to stand motionless, while his lead actor, Henri Rollin, walked about them, trying to figure out why they couldn't move. As for the wide shots of the boulevards and roundabouts, with all the cars, trams and pedestrians, Claire had no choice other than to freeze the image in order to suggest the time had stopped. Now let's look at how Hitchcock used it. An early scene in Champagne takes place aboard a cruise liner. It is New Year's Eve and a group of men and women are dancing. The image freezes and the camera pulls back to reveal a photograph of the dancers as part of an advertisement in a shop window. Outside the shop, a young woman looks longingly at the ad. Obviously, she wants to go on a cruise. All of which makes Hitchcock's use of the technique somewhat ironic. Here, the freeze frame moves the narrative forward. In 1929, Russian filmmaker Ziga Vertov made Man with a Movie Camera, a quasi-documentary about an average day in Moscow. Vertov used a whole battery of techniques, slow motion, split screen, rapid editing and freeze frames to show the Moscovites waking up, going to work, relaxing in cafes, enjoying public spaces, and finally retiring in the evening. What is interesting about Vertov's use of freeze frame is that he deploys it when showing horses galloping along the roads, which again is ironic. Here, the freeze frame emphasizes the dynamism and vitality of modern life. But those examples were from the silent era, a time her sound was not conveyed from the screen, but rather alongside the screen, via live musical accompaniment. The challenge then for filmmakers in the sound era was to figure out how to manage the freeze frame with sound. 
What if the filmmaker was to freeze sound as they froze the image? In 1937, Fritz Lang took the first tentative steps. Fury stars Spencer Tracy as Joe Wilson, a man wrongly accused of kidnapping a child. Arrested by the police, he is detained in the local station. An angry mob gathers and burns the station to the ground. A court case ensues and the evidence against the mob is presented via newsreel footage. Defendant number one, Kirby Dawson, who, according to the testimony, was in the Green Light Inn during the hours of the commission of this crime. A stop action of the scene. Defendant number two, Mrs. Sally Humphrey, who, according to the testimony, during the hours of the commission of this crime was on the farm of her fiancé, we identify her by stop action of the same shot. What is important to note here is that the prosecuting lawyer tells the jury the image identifies the culprits. But really, it also explains to a potentially confused audience that the image has stopped and why. The 1941 comedy Hells of Poppin took a very different tone. Adapted from the smash hit Broadway Musical Review, director H.C. Potter transferred the action so that it centred around not the staging of a theatre production, but the making and screening of a film. And just like the musical review, there are a lot of self-reflexive jokes, with the actors talking to the audience and complaining about the quality of the film. An early scene takes place in the theatre's projection booth, where the actors begin arguing from the screen with the projectionist. Irate, he stops and rewinds the film. This is screwy. The actor's out there talking to me up here. Here is another example of having to explain the freeze frame. This time, taken from 1946 with Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Overnight bag. Genuine English cowhide. Combination lock. Fitted up with brushes, oh, combs. Nope, 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 nope. I'll look, Joe. Now look. I, I, I want a big one. What'd you stop it for? I want you to take a good look at that face. Who is it? George Bailey. Released in 1950, Joseph L. Mankiewicz's All About Eve begins at an awards dinner where Eve Harrington, played by Anne Baxter, is bestowed with the trophy for Best Actress. And as she receives it, the image freezes and... Eve. Eve the golden girl. The cover girl. The girl next door. The girl on the moon. Time has been good to Eve. Life goes where she goes. She's been profiled, covered, revealed, reported. What she eats and what she wears and whom she knows and where she was and when and where she's going. Eve. You all know all about Eve. What can there be to know that you don't know? Again, the voiceover clearly explains, and thus smoothly integrates the freeze frame into the narrative. What these examples amount to is a cinematic equivalent of a theatre actor turning to the audience and delivering an aside. Since the first freeze frame can be traced to a French filmmaker, it's only appropriate we return there for the film that liberated the freeze frame from the voiceover. 1959 was the year Francois Truffaut made his directorial debut with The 400 Blows. An account of Truffaut's unsettled youth, it follows Truffaut's alter ego Antoine Duanel, played by Jean-Pierre Léo. Antoine gets into trouble with his parents, then teachers at school, then the police, and ultimately the romance centre to which he is sent, and then runs away from. 
Truffaut devotes the final moments of the film to Antoine on the run. He runs and runs until he can run no more. He has run to what seems like the edge of the world. He has run to the sea. With nowhere left to run, he turns around and looks directly into the camera and Truffaut freezes on his face. This is not an aside from the actor. There is no voiceover from anyone to explain what is happening. Instead, it is up to us to make sense of it. Initially, critics interpreted Antoine's look into the camera as enigmatic. What is to become of the troubled Antoine? But I have never believed that. We know precisely what became of Antoine. He grew up and became François Truffaut. I think what Truffaut was doing was making a declarative statement. This is me. This is who I am. And so the final freeze frame of Antoine Duanel turns him into an icon. It is one of cinema's most memorable moments, but unfortunately Truffaut's freeze frame ending has been repeated so often that it has all but lost its meaning. Think of the final cliched seconds of Rocky, Rocky 2, 3 and 4, An Officer and a Gentleman, Gallipoli, Diner, The Breakfast Club, The Bodyguard, Life is Beautiful, American Gangster, Planet Terror and Death Proof. Nonetheless, an effective use of freeze frame comes near the end of Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon. Utterly baffled and beaten, what was the lonely and broken-hearted man to do? He took the annuity and returned to Ireland with his mother to complete his recovery. Sometime later, he travelled to the continent. His life there, we have not the means of following accurately. But he appears to have resumed his former profession of a gambler without his former success. He never saw Lady Lyndon again. There it works, because not only is it the point to which the story has been driving, but also one of the film's deeper preoccupations. Redmond Barry, played by Ryan O'Neill, is an ambitious Irish rogue intent on scaling the slippery slopes of British aristocracy. But for all his efforts, he comes unstuck and is frozen out by society. So much for turning your characters into icons at the end of your movie. How about introducing them with freeze frames? This is how Brad Bird and Jan Pinkova opened Ratatouille. This is me. I think it's apparent I need to rethink my life a little bit. What's my problem? First of all, I'm a rat. Which itself is a direct lift from Sergei Leone's The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, where Eli Wallach shoots his adversaries and makes his getaway by crashing through a window. But not before Leone has stole the image to announce who he is. Forget about endings and intros. How about using a freeze frame in the middle of your movie? Again, let's go to Truffaut and his third film, Jules Jim. Set in the early 20th century, it chronicles the tragic friendship of a Frenchman, Jules, an Austrian, Jim, and Catherine, the woman with whom they both fall in love. As portrayed by Jean Moreau, 
Kathleen is an elusive, magnetic contradiction, capable of love and scorn, concern and contempt within seconds. Truffaut conveys that enigma when Kathleen declares that before she met Jules and Jim, she never laughed. Instead, she was serious and often gave withering looks. Kathleen scowls and Truffaut freezes the frame. Then Kathleen says she is now more carefree and given to laughter. Truffaut freezes the frame again, and again, and again, so that we have her different expressions. But here's the thing, Truffaut knows that the freeze frames don't so much capture Kathleen's free spirit as they do freeze it, contain her. And being contained is something she won't tolerate and simply cannot endure. What if your film was made entirely of freeze frames? This is precisely what Chris Marker did in 1962 with his short film La Jetée. Set in the aftermath of a Third World War, a group of scientists are sending people back in time to before the outbreak in the hope of preventing the nuclear catastrophe. If that sounds a little bit like James Cameron's The Terminator, you'd be right. But Marker's film also inspired Terry Gilliam's Twelve Monkeys. At first, Marker's idea of looking at still images that collage together to tell a story is disorientating. But just like the early examples of freeze frame, where Fritz Lang, Frank Capra and Joseph L. Mankiewicz used a voiceover to alleviate any confusion, Marker also uses a narrator. This helps you acclimatise to the series of still images, and somewhere along the way you remind yourself that really, all of cinema is a series of still images. But if that's all there was to Marker's film, we would not be talking about it some 55 years later. If you haven't seen Marker's short film, I don't want to spoil a remarkable pleasure, because at a particular moment, he reawakens our understanding of motion pictures. To end, let us return to where we started, René Clair's Paris Quidor. To simulate a Paris frozen in time, Claire's lead actor, Henri Golin, sees other people in suspended animation. Puzzled, he walks up to and around them to see what the matter is. In other words, Golin moves about inside a supposedly frozen image. Technology prohibited Claire from developing the idea any further. But since the 1990s, CGI has liberated the frozen moment, so that the likes of Peter Maximoff, aka Quicksilver, in X-Men Days of Future Past can defy the laws of physics and move through a time and a space where the rest of us are subject to gravity and a clock that takes 60 seconds to measure a minute. If I could save time in a bottle The first thing that I'd like to do Is to save every day Till eternity passes away Just to spend them with you